0: Well, I hope everybody is surviving summer. I know here in Utah, it's unbearably, um, like well, I shouldn't say it's unbearably, I guess it's bearable. We are surviving. It is hot, however, and I'm sick of it. I'm definitely ready for some fall weather, uh, that crisp, like cool, relaxing. You step outside and you can kind of smell the cold in the air, I'm ready for that. So a few more weeks of summer left, obviously. Sorry it's been a bit since a new episode. We had big old family vacation that we all got to relax and enjoy. When I say we all, obviously my family. You guys weren't there, but it was nice. Good family vacation. And then I had a bunch of work that had to happen. (laughs) Got to pay for the family vacation at some point as well. So just been busy, but we're back at it. New episodes. Thank you for hanging in there. And thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing and sharing and telling everybody about the podcast for the universe. It's the Energy is Love podcast. This episode is brought to you today by the Refinery Barbershop. The Refinery Barbershop is located in Springville, Utah. It's a classic man's barbershop. And what I mean by that is, I don't know if you like Google that, if it's going to clearly define what a classic man's barbershop is. But back in the day, you would go to the barbershop and you would hang out and you would connect and you would get your you'd get your beard trimmed you'd get your hair cut you'd get like the straight razor up close and personal nice relaxing clean cut shave all in a wonderful environment and that was from a time ago right back in the day at the refinery barber shop they have recreated that today it's wonderful it's amazing if you are looking for that really custom haircut where you're going to look handsome you're going to look dapper you're going to look clean cut. You're going to look squared away. I highly recommend checking out the Refinery Barbershop. Pop in and say hello and tell them that you heard about the Refinery Barbershop on the Energy is Love podcast. Go to their website, refinerybarbershop.com. Check them out on Facebook, Instagram, all those other kind of places. You can also find them through our website if you click on the sponsors tab. But go get your hair cut. Go get your beard trimmed. Tell Stephen and his guys hello and check them out. Show them some love. So I was very excited for this episode. Today it is Aaron Woodall, episode 112, I think, yeah. So obviously I listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't know if that's obvious to anybody, but it's obvious to me. Recently I came across the podcast that Aaron co-hosts with uh, with another comic, her name's Jessa. It's called The Mormon and the Meth Head. First, it's a great title. Second, it's a wonderful podcast. I've been binging it since I found it. And I just love everything about it. It was a really good time. Uh, We sat down and recorded, had a good time. Aaron's a pretty hilarious guy. I was (laughs) not disappointed in the slightest. And then later that evening, Steph and I actually went to one of his shows. He had a, he was headlining at a club here in Salt Lake City. So we got to go check it out. And it kind of made for like the perfect date night, right? We got a podcast and then we got to go watch this guy perform. It was awesome. He's hilarious. So I can't recommend The Mormon and the Meth Head enough. If you haven't heard of it, go find it. You can find it everywhere. You can find podcasts, just like any other podcast. is pretty easy to find. Check him out, subscribe, give it a listen. Aaron's hilarious. He's open. He's honest, which I absolutely love. We had a great conversation. You can go find him online. It's really easy. Also, we got all the links to where you can find Aaron. find, um, Follow him on social media. Check out their podcast, all that kind of stuff, all in the show notes. So listen to the episode and then go find their podcast, Mormon in the Meth Head. You're going to love it. Thank you so much, Aaron. Everybody, sit back, turn it up, relax, prepare yourself for some laughter, maybe for some tears. You probably won't cry, but enjoy this wonderful episode of the Energy is Love podcast with Aaron Woodall. Here we go. You're listening to the Energy is Love podcast. Energy is love. The energy is the love podcast. The energy is love podcast. Energy is love. The energy is love podcast. The podcast for the universe. The energy is love podcast. Do you guys do that part?
1: Yeah, Jesse doesn't think that it's real. I don't know. That was like the first tip, that the only tip that I got from another podcaster before I started. Yeah. He was like... Yeah, you know, listen, you can just there's a lot you can just do with audacity, it's fine. One thing one tip I'd give you is like get seven, eight seconds of room noise before you start. And so I I was like, that's what I brought to the table. That was my knowledge that I had. <laughs> and Jess was just like, It's fine, it's whatever. And I'm like, No, it's a really good tip. <laughs>
0: It makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. Like I've done it both ways. And when I do it that way, then, I mean, for me, it makes all the difference in the world, but I always feel super fucking silly doing it. (laughs) And so I used to tell people like, we're going to have 10 to 15 seconds of silence. It's just going to be the opportunity for you to kind of collect yourself and get ready for the episode. So Uh we're just going to be really quiet and mindful in this moment. So then that way, when the episode starts, you'll be clear headed and focused and ready to go. But no, it has obviously nothing to do with that
1: you know what me and jessa do beforehand hmm. we align our chakras before we record <laughs> we, we were we'll stand face to face with each other with our eyes closed I don't know. and then she does she does this to our chakras i don't know but i just i love it it's, it's like in a, a moment an opportunity to uh get on the same page and i just feel like like i did the first comedy i ever did was improv comedy when i was in high school i was on an improv team and there were exercises there's a lot that i hate about improv that i think is dumb but i think there's a lot of cool stuff and they we would do these exercises before we would do shows to you know build trust and teamwork and team energy and stuff and that's what it feels like it feels like we're uh we're uh,
0: warming up for the show, but together, I like it a lot. Getting on the same plane. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. There's tons and tons and tons of stuff that I want to talk to you about. And, uh, undoubtedly we're not going to get to all of it and I'll probably forget half of it, you know, as soon as we start actually talking and conversing and kind of getting into it. But the very first thing that I always ask every single guest, and there's a big, long backstory as to why that... I hopefully at this point in time, people that listen understand why. And mm-hmm. rather than try to go through all of it, I'll just throw it at you, and then that'll it it answer man. the question. So, the the first question that I ask everybody is: Right now, like currently in your life, this moment, this week, this day, this month, whatever the case may be, what are you struggling with when it comes to your mental health, your mental balance, your mental well being? Okay, all right. Right now, today, right before I met you guys. I got frazzled because
1: I just got a text from my ex wife. That's it. And it's just like I feel like anything she says hurts any about anything. And I hate I hate having to communicate with her in any uh way. But I, I obviously have to. We have a we have a son together. And I don't know. She just it's it's like all it's it feels like All the progress that I've made and done becomes undone in split seconds. That I am no longer the person that I have become, but I am instantly transported back to the person who I was two years ago when she left me and I was like a fucking mess and I was and I was just mad at everything and I lost my temper all the time and I was super depressed and I hated everything that she said and I was just so I was in a terrible spot and I spent years working on it and getting better and learning a lot about myself and changing for the better but then I feel like uh She can say two words to me and I am undone. I am back to where I was. And it feels like there's no progress that has been made. There's no progress that will be made. I will forever be this. I will forever be stuck. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I was in a great mood uh, and uh, I was looking forward to this podcast. And then I like got the text while in line at Cafe Rio when I was, when I, when I threw a fit over how much uh, pork bar- barbacoa they gave me, which because I got, uh, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's my stuff with her.
0: Okay. So if we're going to look at that, like if we look at, uh, not necessarily the stuff with her, but like specifically the way that it makes you feel. And if you can get transported instantaneously back to that time period in your life, what would we label that as? like if that was going to be some clinical diagnosis of mental illness that you suffer from because of those type of experiences and what it triggers and what it brings up in you, what would it be labeled as?
1: I mean, I'm not sure. I don't know. I remember I spoke to a therapist one time about it and she said that, uh, she was talking about neural pathways in the brain and how, uh, you know, we just learn, we just learn to react to certain things. And the more we do it, the, the bigger the the wagon wheel ruts are in the road and the brain you know can change but that there's uh, there's so much hardwiring that we've done that it's uh, can be hard to overcome. And this is why like I think at the time when I was I was talking to her about family stuff you know like you go back home so does you act like the little kid that you used to be with your parents or like you and like me and my brother we can just fight. Like we were little kids, you know, and just an instant. And, uh, part of it's cause you know, we know where all of our buttons are and we, it's easy to to push, but I also think that it's just, I don't know, we've trained our brains to think certain ways and it's hard to overcome that. What would you label it as?
0: I don't, I don't have a label. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I don't have a good label for it. Okay. Like I think labels are asinine obviously, but. (laughs) We have to use them to some extent, right? Yeah. And the, the reason I ask this question is because I think everybody has some form of mental illness. I think it's this big, huge spectrum that every single person, you know, alive today falls on. And it is just this big spectrum. And at times, individually in our lives, we're at this end where we're batshit crazy and hearing voices and all those kind of things. And then at other times, we're just like mildly depressed from time to time, right? Yeah. Everybody has that at some point, not necessarily everybody goes crazy, crazy, but, but you yes, know. you know, it's
1: being compare it to physical health, everybody, no one, there's anyone who is a perfect picture of health all the time. Yeah. Even the healthiest people get colds, right? So there's certain, whatever the mental, uh, uh, parallel to a cold is somebody's got that. Even if you've, you're a picture of mental health, there yeah, are like times that. when you, uh, are sick for a few days, you know?
0: That's a good parallel. I hadn't thought of it like that, but I like that one because it, it is the same thing, right? Where mm-hmm. you'll have times where you're like super squared away and you're running and you're healthy and then you're fit. And then two years later, you're fat and you're watching Netflix mm-hmm. and your life is miserable. And
1: yeah. yeah. Or like you get pneumonia or something like you can just, you can just, there are things that can just trigger depression, right? Like I, I, I'm a person, I believe that I, uh, am prone to depression, uh, where I've had it multiple stages in my life and I've had, and I've had periods where I, I've been great and I've been all right, but I think that, you know, I have, I think that I have depression, right? Um, and, but there are people that you could, you could never struggle with that and then just have an event that triggers it. And then you're depressed for a year or two years or whatever until you get over that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking and it's like one of the reasons why I like your guys this show so much is how um, open you both are, how willing you are to both. And I think the cool thing too, obviously you guys you can tell by listening how close you guys are and how good a friend you guys are. so that makes it that much easier to have those type of conversations with people that you feel super comfortable with. but it's so good for the listener to get to tune in and you know listen to those conversations because you both share so openly about your life, like across the board and like, I'm only, I think I'm on episode five or something like that. Like Uh I've been binging you guys the last few days uh but i can't really imagine what else like you guys are gonna fucking share that you haven't shared you oh my I mean? god you're only on episode <laughs> five there's so much there's so much more but you're just so open and i think it's refreshing and i think it's cool and i think that's, that's i important. do worry that we're gonna run out of stuff everyone's like we love all the
1: all the deep dark stuff you get into and it's like i don't know, do we have to start inventing <laughs> more stuff to be upset about or do we just keep saying the same stuff over again i'm not sure But,
0: uh, why do you think people like the, like, like, why do you like to listen or hear the deep, dark stuff about other people? Do you, I guess? I think um, it's kind of human nature.
1: I just don't like talking about stuff that doesn't matter. I think to have a conversation with me, it either, it either has to be about something meaningful or it had better be funny. And if you can do both, if you can take something meaningful and make it hilarious, then, then that's the gold standard for me. But uh, like if we're just going to talk about nothing and it's boring, (laughs) like and you're not even making jokes about it, I can't. I can't. So I just – I'm not – I'm not one for small talk. I uh, I think I've I've learned it, I've assimilated it and stuff, but it's not what I like to get into. And I met Jessa Reed, the co-host, the meth head of Mormon and the meth head, and she just likes to get into really personal shit um, right off the bat. So we became good friends like that cuz you, you just like the first night we hung out, I mean, I we talked about sexual abuse that we had suffered uh and uh, she talked about near death experience and aliens and stuff the very first night we met and uh i don't know that's the only way you're going to connect with anyone and get to know someone superficial stuff does nothing for me i think it's just like a waste of time it's just it's just a feign at at, at comfort no one is actually comfortable Maybe I'm just projecting my own. I don't feel comfortable. I won't say it. No one does. But it's just to sit here and talk about, like, you meet someone new and you just talk about the weather and stuff. I am I feel bad because this is all the stuff that I just asked you guys about. Like, I know. where are you from? Where are you? <laughs> that's, that's exactly that's, that's what I was thinking. But I also know. wasn't. I was also uh, <laughs> trying to calm myself down. I wasn't in a good mood. Yeah. But, like, uh, yeah, that stuff is just like, huh, huh, you know, It's uh, it's way more connected when you uh talk to someone on a deeper level and that's what i care about i like feeling connected to other people i like that and uh, have
0: you always felt that way do you think like you know growing up and things like that did you always have kind of the propensity to like look for and try to build those deep conversations with people like take shit there so that do you mean or yeah probably i don't know like the the capacity for
1: it sure i don't know if i was doing it as a kid i was i you know like a lot of kids it could just be awkward and scared shy to talk to people and stuff but i think that uh my favorite conversations were always those were always ones that uh that you could just get deep into and talk about people's fears and and trauma and stuff that's always uh better but i know yeah i definitely think that i've grown into this where as i became an adult and as i became more autonomous and in control of myself i like started saying okay you know what i'm gonna stop participating in all these bullshit conversations that i've been doing i don't want to do it i'm uncomfortable every time we do it i'll just participate in the conversations that i do like you know So I think, yeah, I might have always had the propensity for it, but I don't think I was always doing it. What is your greatest fear today? My greatest fear today. Oh, man, I think. All right. So. I I mean, I, like I have, I know what it is. I'm just trying to think of how to say it. I think that (laughs) my, my, my greatest fear is being loved. I like, I don't, it doesn't feel good. I don't, I, I am. And it's, this is only something I'm recently thinking about because it didn't see ever seem like that was a real, um, plausible fear before because who's afraid of that? Like, like on the surface, I feel like I love being loved. All I want is to be loved. That's why I'm a stand-up comedian because we're desperate for attention and affection. I love being loved. But, uh, on the deeper level, I'm really not, it's not, it's actually terrifying for me that when someone wants to be closer to me and someone wants to, it feels like they want something from me that I can't give them. It feels like a trap it feels like an attack. It feels oppressive and I don't. And I like, and I, and I, and I try to run away from it. And it's, uh, has a lot to do with, uh, the divorce that I went through, but I also think it has a lot to do with, um, uh, childhood trauma that I only in the last couple of years, uh, have started to deal with, you know, and I've brought all that stuff up to the surface. But, uh, yeah, I think that's, That's probably my greatest fear. Even if
0: it's more of a subconscious fear, I think that's probably it. it, Do you think the fear is like recognizing that, but then like the fear of that fear, like maybe I won't ever get over that fear, right? I have this knowingness or this part of me that wants to get over this part. I want to be able to accept and receive and feel and embrace uh, all those kind of wonderful things that love brings, Mm -hmm. but I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to. I'm going to live this fucking life caught in the space of running and distancing myself from it when really I just want it I don't know if I've gotten to that point
1: yet yeah I want if uh honestly I don't like just now t- thinking about your words as you were saying them uh no I'm not even thinking about like forever I uh right now it just uh, all love feels, uh, like an attack that I would like to get away from. And there's no, there's n- I don't think that there's a part of me that's like, oh, am I going to be lonely forever? The, for the most part, I'm just like, I'll just be lonely forever. That's fine. I can deal with that. You know? I don't know. Like there's different, like my son's love, my son loves me and that feels fine. And I, I love that. And I love him and he's perfect And together, like, I feel like I love the way he, he makes me feel like his love makes me better. And that feels great to me. And I just think, uh, all right, that's all I need. It's like the, I don't need any of y'all's romantic love. You know, uh, I don't need, I don't need that. I can, uh, I'll, uh, I'll just, I'll, I'll be, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Please know and love me. I'm okay.
0: <laughs> I'm good without it. Yeah, yeah. It's a huge thing. I think it's a really common fear that people. I mean, and most people probably aren't aware of it, right? Most people don't ever like recognize that they really, truly are. They're in that space of thinking, "Oh yeah, I'm a stand-up comedian. Of course, I love it. I want it. You know, I want affection. I want attention. All these kind of different things." But then you really stop and look at relationships in your life and the way that it's played out, and it's like, "Oh, there's something about when we get to that space." that I think oppressive that I think you use that word. Yeah, I like that it feels,
1: word. it feels, I feel claustrophobic mm-hmm. when someone loves me. I feel like I need to escape. I don't know. These are just feelings. I'm just now trying to get in touch with. Um, it's been my relationship with, uh, Jessa that has really brought most of it to light. And I can see examples and instances and in other relationships that I've had, but it's really just having someone like Jessa, uh, and that I, that we talk about all of this stuff and, and discuss it openly and freely that I've really started to become conscious of it and think about it more. But when I, if I could describe it, it's with this, it's with this motion. I clench my shoulders in and my fist and I'm just like, Oh no, oh. <laughs> I don't like it.
0: Yeah. It was funny when I heard Jessa, cause I was telling you how I, you know, listened to Bert's podcast and heard her on there and everything like that. And there was so much that she was saying and it wasn't just in the being open and honest in the way that she shares on your guys' show as well. But this was the first time I had ever heard her and she was like talking about all sorts of different shit that I'm just like, fuck, I want to talk to this lady. Because mm-hmm. it was all stuff that hits like this whole, like it hits on every level of stuff that I like enjoy talking about and stuff that we talk about on the podcast before and all these kind of different crazy spiritual things and things like that that take place. And then... um And then I heard your guys' podcast and I wanted to listen to that because I wanted to hear her more. And then it was just like, oh, fuck. I'm really, really glad that like this thing happened where, yeah, she's cool and I like her and I think she's funny. (laughs) And I like listening to her and I'd love to talk to her one day. But then I got like really into listening to you and your story and the way that you shared and so many things. There was this one episode, not that I mean, fuck, we're not gonna sit here and like go through <laughs> the play by play episode of your guys' show, but a lot of the stuff, um, because of the religion and because of growing up Mormon and things like that, I could draw parallels from, which was so fun to listen to and did, hear did about. you grow up Mormon? I did. Like I grew up here in Utah, right? So just that alone, you're gonna have some portion of that culture ingrained mm-hmm. in your life. I was baptized we grew up in this very small town where that is such the, I mean, culturally, you know, societally, that's just the norm, right? Everybody goes to church, everybody's Mormon, all my best friends, everybody that I played with, everybody I grew up with, very much so. But our family was like the like the black sheep in the ward where we didn't really, we went to church um, more or less just because you did. Mm. We didn't have family home evening. We didn't, like, I, I don't think I've ever read much of the Book of Mormon other than like the one semester of seminary that mm-hmm. I had. Um, so we weren't active other than we just went to church because you had to make the appearance to kind of exist in the society of the small town culture. Absolutely. But we didn't, um, it, We, I mean, fucking we didn't embrace any of it at home. We didn't really, you know, do any of it. But I was so immersed, like not immense, I was Immersed. So, yeah, immersed in it, ingrained in it because of, growing up and seeing all my friends and all of this and that and the other and so there was a lot of stuff that you were sharing like there was one recently and i promise we're not just going to sit here and listen to craig talk about listening to your podcast (laughs) very meta very inception (laughs) but there was one where you were talking about you know teenage years when you're growing up and uh having these like experiences with other girls where like the one gal that you like made out with or, you know, like you kissed her in the dark room or yeah. the girl that you were dating or something like that. And these girls would want to like go to the next level of like making out or feeling uh-huh. each other up or something. You're like, I can't.
1: Yeah. I, I tried. I broke up. I broke up with my first girlfriend because, um, well not because, so I, like we would, we would make out and I. I I would like lift my hands like like a little bit further up her shirt every time we kiss like uh-huh. on her hips and then I would just like oh you can't go back to that the the that first time and like how like exciting exhilarating and and guilt ridden it was but like my fingers would just go like a little bit further up and I they got I like touched the bottom of her bra like the like the side of her like that the the bra not the bra strap over top but like you know. You know what I'm talking about. The side, the side, bro. I touched the very bottom of that. And she let out like this softest little moan. like, oh. And it felt so wrong. It felt so, so wrong. And then I went to EFY uh, that summer. And they, you know, they like... The EFY is especially for youth, it's Mormon church camp. It's like a week long thing and they beat into your head all this stuff. Well, I don't know. I should, they, there's a, it's church camp. It's whatever. But they, they really, the message I kept picking up on was like, don't date before you're 16 and don't date anyone outside the church. And she wasn't a church member. So I had decided, I like felt the spirit at EFY and I was like, I'm going to, and go home and break up with her. That's what I'll do. That's what the Lord wants me to do. I'll do it. And, uh, so I told my mom that I needed, uh, her to drive me <laughs> to, to this girl's house, uh, so that I could break up with her. And so my mom drove me, uh, to wherever this girl lived and, uh, she like stayed downstairs uh, and, and talked with her mom while I while we went up to her room, and uh, I broke up with her as fast as I could. <laughs> she was very upset, and then I'm just like running back down the stairs. <laughs> My mom's like just trying to talk, is like just like doing small talk with this lady, and I'm like, "Let's go, mom, pack it up. <laughs> we need to go. <laughs> this did not go the way she thought it would. We need to get out of here. Wrap it up, mom. Let's go." It was uh the pinnacle of teenage awkwardness but just easy i mean like regular teenage teenagers are awkward but when you put like all the all, religion on top of that it's just an
0: extra wrinkle that just makes uh everything worse <laughs> yeah it fucks everything up like i was in eighth grade and there was uh, we were like we had stopped going to church at this point long ago completely not active in the mm-hmm. slightest Um, but I was dating this girl. She was like the new girl that moved to town. So she was brand new. So she was like exotic and nice. Yeah. All the other girls we had been in school with since kindergarten. Like I remember seeing them vomit in third grade or something like that. So (laughs) there's nothing attractive about them at that point. But, uh, this new girl moves in and for whatever reason she liked me. So we were dating and we dated as the school year came to an end. And then we were kind of Continuing to date throughout the summer, which is incredibly challenging when you're like 13 years right. old, right? It's a joke. It's not. You don't happen. see each other. ever yeah, <laughs> yeah, but we're still really tight. Yeah. <laughs> and um, she called me once. We were having the sleepover, so I'm over at my friend's house, me and my buddies, and she's over at her house with all of her girlfriends. And she calls me up, and she's drunk, and they had been drinking, and she like tells me, and I can tell listening to her that she's all kind of drunk. And she was kind of happy about it. And they were having a good time. And they had taken some of you know the booze from her parents or something like that. And I remember ending the phone call and just being like, I can't be with this girl. I cannot um, be with somebody cool. that is going to drink and get fucked up at 13 years old. This is crazy. And then I like dumped her two weeks <laughs> later because she was drinking. And that was like the summer before we started high school. And then if you had fast forward two years later in high school at this point, right? I would have been like all over a girl that was gonna sneak booze from her parents and get yeah, because there
1: aren't many in Grantsville. No, there no. aren't. That was the that was the one.
0: Yes, <laughs> you you blew your shot, man. But it cracked me up because it was like it made me really think about how much <clears throat> the church, because obviously that's what I'm aware of. Like, that's what I grew up and that's what I know. But how um, uh, powerful that shit is, right? Like I wasn't even brought up in it. I wasn't even concerned about. I could Mm -hmm. care less about what Jesus was going to think, or I didn't have to go talk to my bishop, or I didn't have to do any of that. But it was like the viewpoint of what my friends were going to think, because they all were very much still involved and still active and all those kind of different things. One of the things too, I wanted to ask you, because you didn't grow up in Utah, right? No, I grew up in Maryland. When did you move to Utah? Uh,
1: When I went to college. Uh, I went to BYU in 2010, I think.
0: And see, like, out-of-state Mormons are different than Utah Mormons. Yeah, yeah, they're way cooler.
1: They are. Cooler. They're way.
0: They're way more
1: relaxed. <laughs> there's just, there's just. Uh, I think. Um, uh, how do you pronounce it? Homogeneity. Uh, Homogen. Uh, hom- Homogenize. Homo- yeah, you know what I mean. When you have too much of one of one thing. In any, in any uh, circumstance or example, I think that's bad. Um, I think if you have a, if a board of directors, sort of say, uh, that, that all look exactly the same, that all the exact same backgrounds, that all the exact same opinions, I think that's bad for your company because you swap the same ideas back and forth and it's just this incestuous breeding pool of the exact same thing. you you, an echo chamber is, uh, is like what we talk about in modern society a lot on the internet, like the way that, uh, you can just, Only hear the points of view that you agree with, you know, and they just bounce back and forth and become distorted and worse and worse and worse Mormons that grew up without any other Mormons uh, were able to understand how fucking weird Mormons were like you could just (laughs) like we were apologetic for it. We're like, yeah, sorry. We know we're weird. It's just uh, some, you know, it's just really dumb, but we just don't drink coffee. You know, that's it. But like if you uh, only ever Knew Everyone else in your entire life, in your entire uh, Pleasantville world, never drank coffee. You see one person drink it one day and you're like, oh my God, oh my God. I feel bad. Catherine's <laughs> parents drink coffee and I don't know what I should do. Should I call the police? Like you have no idea. You don't have any context for how weird uh, you are because you've only ever experienced your one way of life. And so, yeah, like every... Every single Mormon thing is just like amplified, right? Okay, here's an example I was just thinking about. Um in the early thousands, there was like Mormons started making movies. There was like this Mormon cinema boom out here in Utah. And we bought we bought the DVDs out in Maryland. My mom would buy singles ward and Saints and, and Soldiers. And, yeah, Saints and Soldiers and stuff. And we would we we saw that and uh they were fine. All right. So the, like the first movie this first movie was called God's army. That was like the first big one. And there's a scene in that movie where they take pictures of mission. Cause it's about missionaries and it's just like about mission life and stuff. And they take pictures of a missionary when he's on the toilet, when he's like pooping and he's just like in his shirt and his pants are down and they come and they bust open the bathroom door and they take a picture of him. And, I think it's just supposed to be like a funny memory that whoever wrote that movie was like that happened on my mission and that's it, right? And we watched that movie in Maryland and we were like, okay, look, like that, that we just watched it and that's fine. But in Utah. There was just an uproar. People were just like, I I can't support that movie because I thought the bathroom scene was completely inappropriate. And you're like, what bathroom scene? Like the the bathrooms, they call it the bathroom scene. You're like, what? I don't even remember a scene taking place in a bathroom. Did someone get a blowjob in a bathroom? Like what what happened? They're like, when they took pictures of the missionaries on the toilet. And you're like, what the hell is the matter with you people? You guys had debates over that? That's so weird. It's very strange. So when I got to, I, I was I was excited to have Mormon friends because I, I had focused on all the bad things of being the only Mormon all throughout high school. I wished that there were kids that understood me more. And then when
0: I got here, I was like, I don't understand these kids at all. <laughs> I don't understand them. Get me out of here. I bet. Like, that's more. I mean, like how much of a culture shock was even that, especially going to BYU, right? Because oh. that, I mean, you don't get more not just ingrained into the church and into the religion, but also the Utah aspect of it. It's
1: so strange because I was super Mormon. I was super Mormon. And this, I I did BYU after my mission. And as a missionary, I became even more like orthodox. I was just, I took it super seriously. I felt like I, I lost my sense of humor in a lot of ways. I was just so focused on following the commandments. And yet I got to BYU and I still was like, y'all are taking this too seriously. <laughs> this is ugh. like, if, if, if me at, at my peak at my peak Mormon <laughs> thought that you guys took it too seriously, that's, that's a bad sign. It's so, it's just, it's just weird how pervasive it is. I think when, any time that uh, like, it's like when you have a group of people that are just that lack diversity, uh, things just get, get weird and, like stuff gets perverted. I hated seeing stuff that people in Utah didn't even notice, like commercials, advertisements, billboards for just like regular stuff. Lawyers, you know, were about Mormon lawyers. It was just like there, there, there was something that was like uh some billboard that was like, uh, "Don't call your home teachers. Call us." And I hated it. I hated it because I felt like it's gross that they're using. Basically that billboard is is saying, wink, wink. We're just like you. You can trust us because we're also Mormon. We know your lingo. You know, you can trust us the way you trust your home teachers. So you should hire us. You should pay us money because we're Mormon like you. And I was like, that's i didn't like it it made it made me feel gross and stuff but no one around me seemed to notice it it was everywhere every single person was uh was a f- you you grew up in it so you were just kind of blind to it it's just what life looks like you know
0: and now you live like i guess we shouldn't say exactly where you live but (laughs) (laughs) i live downtown salt lake city yeah yeah, like you're blocks away from the fucking headquarters Mm -hmm. the temple the mecca like the you know the place for mormons to come to like how does that make you feel that was one thing i would like i feel i feel totally separate from it here it's
1: uh it's uh not bad here. It's Provo that was bad. Yeah, Provo is. When was. um when we graduated and we finished at BYU, my then wife and I, we had a kid already and we were talking about where we were going to go and we were were we going to move out of state or not. I had a job offer to go uh, back to Maryland. I could go be a teacher there mm-hmm. and that sounded great. But we decided I decided that I wanted to pursue stand-up comedy. And that we would do that by moving to Salt Lake City, and we would we said, "We'll live in Salt Lake for just two years, and then we'll move out of state. We'll go to l a or something and at the time, it felt a little bit like a compromise like we were we were pretty bummed that we had decided to stay in state because we were sick of it. We were sick of Provo, we were sick of Utah, but we, I hadn't experienced anything outside of Provo to me, Provo was Utah, and Utah was Provo. And so then when I, this second I moved to Salt Lake, I could breathe again. Not literally, the air quality is very bad here. Uh, but, but I, I suddenly felt so much more normal. Like it's a, it's a pretty Mormon city, but uh, like if you're going to compare it to Minneapolis or something. Yeah. But uh, compared to, to Provo, I was like, wow, wow. There's other people here. There are people that look different from us. Whew, this feels good. There's, there's different, uh, socioeconomic, uh, uh, levels here. There's, uh, different religions here. There are different ages. Like Provo is just because of BYU. It's, it's so much more homogenous because not only is everyone in the same religion, but everyone's the same age. Everyone's doing the exact same thing. Everybody's, uh, essentially the same race, uh, like and it's they, they, they all dress the same cause there's the honor code stuff. They're all made to look, it's got a very Stepford wives vibe to it. And you don't, I didn't really notice it until I, until I moved to Salt Lake. And then I had a gig in Provo just like a, a few weeks or a month later. And I came back and I was looking around with wide eyes, like what this place is so weird. And I didn't even realize how to the full extent, how weird it was. Sunday mornings everyone is dressed exactly the same everyone is wearing the same uniform on Sundays and they're at the exact same time all leaving their house houses to go to the same places they're all going to their own churches where they get taught the exact same lessons and then they leave having the exact same conversations a- and go back like and then they the, it's it's and they go home and have, probably
0: have the same dinner yeah and the same <laughs> sex they probably all look
1: like, it's just a uh i i'd never appreciated how strange that was and uh that you have just like 30,000 people just all doing the exact same thing at once voluntarily it's uh I need it's why That's why I like uh not that you couldn't have it in a small town, but to our conversation before we started, I like big cities because I like differences. I like diversity, I like options, I like other people doing different stuff. I love going to Liberty Park in Salt Lake. There's always weird shit going on. There's some some there's always people that have brought some weird game, dude. Something there's always different languages being spoken at Liberty Park. There's a it's a nice little melting pot in Salt Lake City. It makes me feel like oh I'm in a real city. There's oh it feels good. Yeah. So I don't really feel the uh, the proximity to the church that my
0: geographical location would imply. I feel pretty separate from it now. Is there any part of you that Um, not regrets, like the decision to kind of leave the church and leave the way of life and everything like that. But like any part of you, like if, Oh, that like longs for something that used to bring you comfort in that space. Right. Oh, absolutely, man. I've talked about it on the podcast recently too.
1: They, I mean, it took me a long time to leave. There was so many, I had so many problems with it, but I wouldn't leave because it was everything my whole life was built on the fa- this same foundation. every choice, every major decision I made was based on the foundation that I knew at the bottom of it you know like da, 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 Joseph Smith was a prophet that restored the true church of Christ. like I knew that without a doubt and so I could build the rest of my life up uh, upon those building blocks. And so to let go of that was to let go of everything and I was just it was very scary And so I did grapple with with regret, for a while and um there's a brief scary period but it was pretty brief and that you know i i realized like i'm gonna be okay and i can uh i'm gonna build a happy life for myself on the building blocks that i choose but right now i still am in a period where i often miss that the i miss when things had meaning like i passed by a picture of a temple with another ex-mormon friend and we were started commenting on how those pictures used to mean so much to us our moms would hang up photos of the temple we were when you grow up out of utah too the temple's an even bigger deal and you know that's always something on the forefront of my mind and we like joked for a little bit about like, remember when that used to mean something. And then I almost immediately was like, man, I miss when that meant something I miss when anything meant something, because I kind of, I don't know what I believe right now. I, I kind of let go of all belief. I used to be someone who, who needed there to be truth with a capital T and I needed to know what it was. And I had to know, uh, without a doubt that this was this and this is right. And that is wrong. And like when I let go of religion, I decided to let go of that need. And, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that are better in my life because I've let go of that. Uh, but, um, I do miss having like subscribe, uh, ascribing meaning to things and having stuff that, that meant so much to me, right? Like I used to feel so good when I went to the temple. The first time I went to the temple, it felt like going home. I felt the spirit really strongly. I felt at peace. I felt like I was close to God. I was communing with him. I felt like I was home. I felt like I was in heaven. I was like, yes, this is where I belong. And that does a lot for your life. I think when you when you believe something like that, there are certainly plenty of negative effects from that kind of belief which is why I ended up leaving, but there were, there were positive parts too, where I just felt sure and safe and secure. I think maybe now I would consider that a false security, but even if it was false, it was true in my mind. And so I lived in a different way, you know, I don't, and I, and I kind of miss that security from time to time. I miss having all the answers i mean i didn't <laughs>
0: well you only needed the one right yeah <laughs> like just the one big answer was all you needed to have the answer to all the other questions because you didn't really have to fucking worry about them because mm-hmm. you know joseph smith and yeah you know all those different things like i've got these bases covered i don't have to worry about mm-hmm. it and um you haven't replaced that with anything or you don't necessarily feel the need to replace that with anything i'm at this scared point? to replace it
1: it feels the same as uh It's connected, I think, to my fear of love where, uh, you know, I loved someone and then it ended. I got my heart broken. I felt hurt and abandoned and betrayed. And I feel the same way about God. I feel like uh, I believed in him. I put put my life in his hands and then felt completely abandoned. I was like, oh, you weren't real? (laughs) What? Uh, I felt betrayed and stuff. And I just kind of, I think I look down on myself for needing it. And I'm afraid that I will, uh, if I look for that meaning again, that it means that I'm weak because I needed i needed something to have meaning. I couldn't just make meaning out of my own, own life. So I'm afraid to adopt any other belief system because... Uh, what if I'm wrong? It's what if it's all wrong and I'm just doing just all mental tricks because we are weak, frail humans that need to trick ourselves in order to get through life. Um, uh, we have to, we have to force ourselves to believe in that there's something beyond this, that there, that there is meaning in all of our actions and that it does matter and blah, 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 blah. What if it doesn't? And, uh, like, I just, I, I want to be. Uh, strong enough to like, to accept that and and live a happy life without looking for something beyond myself, you know? Uh, so it's a, it's a struggle that I go, that I go back and forth on.
0: Uh, does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes total sense. Okay. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. Like it, it makes me sad listening to you. It Yeah. Like, Sorry. Sorry no, to be a bummer. No, it's not bad at all. It, but I'm sitting at, you know, I don't think that people need, first off, I don't think they need to believe in God, right? I don't think that, you know, you need to subscribe to religion, Christianity, or a a belief in even a higher power in a sense. I don't think you necessarily need that. But part of me, part of me thinks that like us as humans, there's some part of us that is biologically or evolutionary created and designed and imprinted on our DNA in a sense where that is in fact something that we need. And I think the reason for that is because if you go all the way back, like over the course of time, like we're always asking that question and it's not the question of where do we come from or is God real or, you know, what happens when we die. But we are always, especially at the point of evolution where we actually started like fucking thinking, like we're always thinking, we're always looking, we're always searching for answers and trying to Mm -hmm. figure things out. And so I think there's a part of that is now ingrained in us because it's been built into our dna over this huge amount of evolutionary time period where we are always looking for answers and the big answers the ones that are asked time and time again the ones that we don't really have good solid answers for those are the ones that people internally always have do you know what i mean even if they're not aware Mm -hmm. of it and so i don't think we have to have um The, you know, we don't have to walk around with the false truth or the knowingness that you would get from, you know, being a Mormon or from Christianity or anything like that. But I think we have to have something that fills that, fills that spot, right? Have that puzzle piece kind of connected in a sense. Otherwise, there's going to be this part of us inside that is always asking that question, even if we can't necessarily put it into words, just because it's our human nature to always ask why or to always look. Right. We're never going to come up to it. Like if you think about the first fucking guy that eventually like had to go into the dark cave or come out of the dark cave, like we've always done that. Right. We've always gone to see what's on the other side Mm -hmm. and explore and search. And so it makes sense to me that we're just continually doing that. And over the course of time, it just becomes ingrained within us where that's the thing that we have to fill. Otherwise, there's going to be a part of us that is never full. Yeah. But it can get filled many different ways, right? It's not just we have to believe in God or we have to believe in whatever the fuck it is, aliens or whatever people choose to assign answers to for these big questions. It doesn't really matter what it is, but I think you have to come up with something that resonates and connects with you and then also allow for it to expand and change and grow Mm. and evolve over the course of your life. Because you just get smarter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just have no idea what that is for me right now. I think um, I was talking to a friend who I love getting into this kind of conversation with. And and she was talking about something she had read. I can't remember if it was C.S. Lewis or something else. But she was talking about a house, The this this uh, kind of parable of a house that's built with all these different pieces of wood, all these different rafters and beams. And then... Uh, you tear it down and rebuild it, and the the analogy being, um, like religion, kind of built this house for you. As you grow up, you're given all these pieces from parents, from society, a few from your own experiences. But as a kid, you don't have many of your own experiences, so you're just your people are lending you the stuff they've learned. And religion's a big one that gives you a lot of the framework for your house. And then as you grow up. Uh, you decide, I don't, you know, I don't like this house and you kind of tear it down. And right now the point that I'm at in my life is like, oh, I've got all these beams and stuff on the ground and I'm just standing in a mess. There's just, I've I've got no roof over my head and I'm just, uh, I'm just standing in the ruins of what I used to believe in. And I'm trying to figure out on my own without anyone else's influence now, um, Which of these pieces do I like, which do I want to use any of them in my new house that I'm building? And if so, which are they? And do I need to get some lumber from somewhere else? What am I going to do? I feel like right now I've got a couple of shaky beams up where I feel like I know that I believe in my son and I believe, uh, in, in like that love and stuff. And I, I believe in my parents, I believe in my brother, like I, I believe in their love and um i'm not really sure what else i feel like i believe in doing good things for other people i feel like i believe in being nice and uh and i don't like to make other people feel bad i like to make other people feel good and uh, i don't know i'm mindful of other people but i feel like that's a uh, that's about it like of, of the things that i that i know and believe in i don't I I can't really venture too much past that. And I used to, I used to be like, here's what, here's where, like I could go from, from our pre-mortal existence. So I could be like, here's everything that <laughs> happened. Okay. We were intelligences. God gathered us up and made us into a spirit children. Then he gave us bodies. And like, this is the whole plan of salvation. And here's what's going to happen, uh, at judgment day at resurrection. This is what eternity will be like the rest of eternity. We're going to be able to progress and do this because life is about the learning, these things, learning obedience, learning, uh, blah, 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 blah. The atonement's huge. Like, Oh, I had all these pieces. I'm like, I had the road map, of eternity mapped out at 19. I knew everything. I was like, yeah, I've got a good grasp on what eternity would look like. The hubris, can you imagine?
0: Oh teenagers. I just I that's can't. That's why believe. they send us on missions at that age. It right? is. And then, I mean that's why that's why they enlist us in the army at that age. That's why mm-hmm. all those things, because you fucking think you have all of it. You fucking think you know all of it and and what you don't know, that's okay. I'll figure that out when I come across it because I have this skill set of all this vast amount of knowledge and confidence and that, that, that all these different things. And then like five years, 10 years, you know, 20 years later, you're like, oh my God. Like I have a 19 year old. Yeah. Our oldest is 19. She's, uh, she'll be a sophomore next year in college. And she is in that same boat where she thinks she's got it all figured out right and her life is going exactly the way that she wants which is wonderful i'm glad that she's not like suffering and you know miserable mm-hmm. um but she thinks she just has this whole adult thing figured out like it makes perfect sense to her and she's got her rent covered and they you know go buy their top ramen and they like she's living the life and living the dream of a 19 year old and she thinks she has it all figured out and then like she can't figure out how to like make tea like turn the kettle <laughs> on or preheat the oven or do you know what i mean all these incredibly yeah. basic life skills and it's not to say that you need those basic life skills to exist but just so stupid and naive <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and it's like yeah, but... nowhere are you prepared for life
1: when i was a missionary uh, i remember this couple this woman like crying to me and telling me that they were having uh marital problems and wanted my help <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, oh, fuck me. I don't know. Uh, even I think like even at that point, I knew that that was, I was like, this is beyond my <laughs> capacity. But still, they looked at me as if I knew. And so there were a lot of those uh, messages from leaders, from other church members, from our parents, from watching other people serve missions, that we just, we felt like we we were... Well, I mean, we literally were in doubt. They, they gave us endowments for this. They, they set us apart. They gave us this special missionary power. And I thought that I had it all figured out that I knew everything. I've, I often say that I would absolutely do a mission again because I loved it, but I wish that I had been more humble. Like I wish that I had gone out there knowing that I didn't know anything. And I wish that I just listened to other people i I'm talking to people with way more life experience than me. I wish I had m- more seriously pondered their thoughts and philosophies and views rather than just trying to shove mine onto them and, and learn. I could, I feel like I could have, my mission could have been so much greater if I just spent more time trying to learn rather than to teach. Uh, because no 19 year old should be teaching, man. And when they, I was at BYU when they um, lowered the missionary age, So it used to be like boys had to be 19 to go and girls had to be 21 to go because of sexism. Like there's no, there's no reason.
0: (laughs) Because, uh, they, oh yeah, that's right. They're They're just just fucking sexist. Their priority was to get
1: married. That's what the girl's priority was. And, uh, old maids by
0: 21. Yeah,
1: dude, it's weird. I remember the same friend that was just talking to about the house, the house that like fell down. Uh, I remember we were in the MTC together and, uh, I remember her being like, people are still asking me if it's, if I'm sure that there's no one I want to marry, like at every, every stage, every interview that you had to go like, cause we have to get interviewed by our mission, uh, by our, sorry, by our bishop and then our stake president. And they are like, for me, they asked you know, all these worthiness questions and, and gave me some advice for like how to be a good missionary. But for her, they're like, and you're not dating anyone. Like there's no one that you're thinking about. And the, she's like, no, like a week later, she has like her last meeting. They're like you haven't met anyone <laughs> maybe in the last week that you think God would rather you marry. Right. But anyway, when I was, I was at BYU, they lowered the age from 19 to 18 and then girls from 21 to 19 because sexism still. like <laughs> It was just it was so weird that they would lower it, but then still not make it the same age. It was just like, that's so dumb. Yeah, it's what is bizarre. <clears> throat> everyone throat> celebrated it because it it was like oh wow oh my god uh god's really ready for the work to move forward so they're lowering the mission age so more people can serve and i felt like i was i was the only one that was like uh think about what you're doing here thomas this you're <laughs> like uh, if, if 19 year olds were a bad idea like 18, 18 year olds are some of the worst people i've ever met those are going to be uh, but like the arrogance aside, I felt also like even then I was still pretty Mormon, but cynically I was like, they just they just want to make sure more people go on missions. When you have that that year gap out of the house, uh, they, it just seemed like they wanted to have this like conveyor belt of like we're on you're under your parents' control. And then immediately under a mission president's control, and then immediately, as soon as you get home, you're married and at BYU, and you're, like, on this track, uh, and you're, uh, you've got two kids and stuff before you even realize, uh like, maybe I don't believe in this, you know, and
0: uh that's very much what it is right yeah because like i saw what would happen with all of my friends during that time period from graduating high school before they could go on their mission and it was like up for the fucking it is rumspringa yeah Yeah, they go down to dixie state and just (laughs) you know explode in every which way they can possibly Mm -hmm. enjoy life and then have to return home to go on their mission, right? So they get like maybe a semester of college under their belt before everything implodes, <laughs> whether yeah. it's from drinking or sex or whatever the case may be. And then they have to come back home in preparation to get ready to go on their mission. So it's very I, I agree. like it's very much just like, oh fuck, we gotta get rid of that. We gotta get rid of that time period because we're losing too many of
1: them. Yeah. And so I think that I um I this is the first time in my life that I am rebuilding that house myself, where it's like, I'm going to figure out what it is that I believe. And in the beginning, so I I left, I left Mormonism at the same time as my wife. We kind of, you know, it was a gradual process, but there was like a, a definite end when we were like, we're done. And I was going at that point, I was going to reassess all of my spiritual beliefs. I wanted to find out if there's God i was going to figure it out and i wanted to do it apart from the book of mormon because my my testimony of god was based in that book you know all my spiritual experiences came from mormon experiences so i want now that those were tainted i was like i'll find out if god is real or something on my own and i had all these plans of how i was going to figure it out and then uh, my wife left me and I was like, I've got other things on my mind. <laughs> I was like, Oh man. <laughs> um, uh, I suddenly didn't care as much about God anymore. I was like, there yeah. are much more pressing <laughs> temporal concerns that I need to figure out. And I, as, as much as I would like to have it figured out by now, the experience did teach me that it was okay not to have answers because it was terrifying when I was Mormon to think about quitting because I wouldn't have answers anymore. And how could I get through a single day without answers? Like, how can I go to work or go to gigs? How can I go grocery shopping and and do all this stuff? If I don't know what's going to happen when we die, like how, how, how. And uh, then I found out like, you know, it's fine. (laughs) Life goes on and it's okay if you don't know everything. And so now I'm still just like, no rush I'm open to a lot of spiritual experiences uh, in different places and I try to pay attention to them and stuff but uh, I'm just kind of open to everyone's truth now there's no more capital T truth and sometimes that makes me sad but I also really love listening to all of Jess's crazy uh, shit with an open mind and being like yeah okay I think that could work you know uh she talks all the time about uh uh how life is a video game that you know none of this is real we're in a simulation and stuff and i love listening to it i'm like yeah okay that could be true and there's a lot of like good um hmm, what i want to say this when when i think about life and I, I, cause I don't make any claims anymore. I'm never going to say, yeah, this life is a video game, but I sit and think about like, what if it is, there's lots of lessons to be gained from thinking about life that way. And there's lots of lessons to be gained from thinking about life, uh, that, that has no afterlife. Like if this is just it and that's, uh, and when we die, we're dead and there's nothing else after that. There's, uh, lessons to be gained from pondering that. I don't know. So I just kind of try to keep my mind open to everything and uh i don't know
0: just i love your metaphor like i love that like the way that you paint the picture of like you know i had this house i had this structure i had all these things in place that were given to me like you said i mean you you Mm -hmm. explained it beautifully and then just to have it all fucking crumble at your feet and now you're standing there like okay what am i gonna do (laughs) like how Mm -hmm. am i gonna put this back together and what do i want to build this out of I think it's a beautiful picture, right? I think you do a really good job of explaining it and it makes perfect sense. And as I was listening to you, I'm just like, oh my God, like I want to come and like build that for you. Like I want to come and like, <laughs> here's this foundational wall that you'll need and mm-hmm. here's this and here's that. But obviously that's all of my shit. That's all of yeah. my belief system. Yeah. And so I think everybody has to, at some point, build that house, build that structure based off of what they, mm-hmm. you know, not true. I mean, not because not everybody does, right? Like I still have really, really close friends of mine that are still in the church. And it's not to say that there's anything wrong with the church, but if we look, if we use that parable, if we use that metaphor, like they have that huge house, that huge structure that they've definitely added on to, right? They've bumped out a wall and added some additions to it. But like the core foundation of that, the frame of that fucking house is shit that it's not even theirs. It's just stuff that was given to them that they were like, okay. Right. That's a, That's good enough for me. Yeah, and it's I I I
1: like the the metaphor as well because I was very protected in the house that they built for me. Oh yeah, it's super I was safe. safe. I was safe from the elements, but I uh I there was a bunch of stuff I didn't like about it, so it was a hard decision. But and now that I've I've torn it all down, I'm so much more exposed to the elements. Um, but it's I really prefer it to where I used to be. Like, uh, the elements aren't as scary as I thought they were gonna be. that's it's really okay. And while I'm more exposed, and while I have nights where I'm like, I don't know the answer, and I'm sad. And I can't, there's nothing really to take comfort in tonight. There's also just a million other beautiful things that I can walk around experience because my walls have been torn down and I can see how other people have built their houses. You know, I can have a conversation with you, Craig, and talk to you about what you found, uh, built your foundation on and uh, learn from it. And I think that's a good trade.
0: Yeah. It's a good way to go. I think it's a good way, to, I think, to move through life. But like, I'm still sad for you. Like I listened to them I'm just like that it sucks. But oh no, it's a good thing. What are your beliefs? <clears throat> um I was trying to think of how to condense it. <laughs> like what would be the like what would be the fireplace in my house? Like what's the like what's the centerpiece of my fucking you know, my big den, and that's the place where we all sit and that's like the warm spot. And it, it's, it's most definitely energy is love. And that's cheesy because that's what the podcast is called. But that's why it's called that. Because for me, over the course of my life and all these different experiences that I had, it really boiled down to like um, the feeling that I get uh, when it comes to love, whether I think about my wife or I think about my children, and the feeling that I have and the connection that I have with them is massively powerful right like you obviously know now because you have a son and people that don't have kids bless their hearts they don't ever really know the level of love that exists i think you can grasp it and you can understand it i think connection
1: is a is a huge is a big maybe more than love because i i hate like comparing people's levels of love but like Mm -hmm. connected to him instantly yeah instantly connected to him i remember seeing him on an ultrasound and i saw his hand move and it was just my heart fluttered and he was mine And he belonged to me and I belonged to him as much as he was mine. I was his. And I was like, there was a pact that I just felt where I was like, I'm committed to you no matter what, nothing will ever stop me. I'm, I'm yours. It's just this instant connection before I'd ever seen him in real life or held him or anything like that. Yeah.
0: It's just strong. That connection is what I think everything is based off. Do you call that energy? Yeah. So it's love like that connection that that thing where you're connected to your son in that way from that very early you know that moment when he wasn't even born yet that powerful connection that you feel it's very much a feeling right it's so like you can't really like like it's not hard to you can't touch it you can't taste it like it's this feeling inside this knowingness and for me that thing is connected uh everywhere mm-hmm. we stem from that source of feeling we stem from that connection and we all uh have that connection with one another, with the planet, with the universe, all these different cosmic things. And that belief system, that knowingness that I have isn't just because like I have kids and I love my kids, or I believe the energy is this, that, or the other. Like it's come through real life experiences. It's come through real, um, just that just experiences where that has been reiterated time and time and time again, and being able to connect with the feeling rather than necessarily the experience. Cause it, It comes in different experiences at different times and in different waves and in different intensities, but it's the feeling of it, of that connection to source or whatever the fuck it is. And for me, it's just love. It's just energy, a big ball of something somewhere spinning around that we're all stemming and connected from. Can I ask you more questions about it? No. Uh Oh, please. (laughs)
1: Is all energy love? Like, is hate energy though? Like, is that is that a connection? Can you feel other people's bad energy, or do you think? Yeah,
0: I'll give you my spiel on it, and it's very much just how I uh, currently because I think that it evolves and changes. But I feel real, 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 real fucking strong, like ninety nine point nine 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 percent that yeah, it is all just love, and that there isn't bad, there isn't evil, there isn't negative uh, energy. Or people or like whatever out there. I don't believe that there is a bad side to anything. I don't believe in yin and yang and, you know, dark and light. I just think it's all light. It's all love. It's all, um, energy. And mm-hmm. we have just labeled it to make it small. So then we, cause our existence here gives us light and dark. It gives us that duality. So then we have to recreate that in all sorts of different ways so that we can put it into context and put it into a box so then we can understand it but in reality like nighttime here right that just like the sun just went to the other side of the planet it doesn't change in any way shape or form it's just not light it's just dark so i think it's all the same i don't think there is bad or evil okay do you feel other
1: people's energy very much so yeah and and it's only, that's something I've been paying attention to in the last couple of years.
0: Listening, of to to your, it. listening to you, listening to on your podcast, I can tell that you do in the way that you talk and the way that you communicate about other people and relationships and things like that. Like even just listening to you talk about your divorce and the experience of that, like that straight up empathic response to pain, like the 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 rawness of it. I mean, granted, everybody gets heartbroken, everybody has that feeling and the fact is I think everybody can feel energy just more people or some people are more not only aware of it but more um like uh experienced or susceptible to it in a sense right we all have the same ability to tap in and connect to it and feel it but some people are more more feely <laughs> <laughs> yeah. more able to and yeah so-
1: I think that I've always I've 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 felt it but I didn't have words for it or I thought that I'd that it was i don't know I, I i look back now on different social interactions and think oh i probably was just like picking up on that person's energy and that's why then i felt uh awkward or shy or something and uh hmm
0: I don't everybody know. does it like think about how easy it is to think about like one of the examples i always use is like You know, dad comes home from work and walks in the house and he hasn't even said anything. And by like the way he tosses his keys on the fucking counter, like you hear that, but then you also can just feel his presence, his energy, his frustration, his anger, whatever, the stress of his day, right? Mm -hmm. We all can have those experiences or those memories of not just our dad or whatever, but people where suddenly they walk into the room and you're just like, ooh, like you can instantaneously tell that there's something wrong with them. Yeah. Right. You can feel... The subtle shift in their energy that's like, oh, that person's off in mm-hmm. some way, shape or form. And I might not be able to say exactly what it is or understand completely. But for whatever reason, I can just sense that they're off. Yeah. And everybody's got that.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that I'm just getting more tuned into it. It's still kind of strange for me to talk about and I'll talk about it with a ton of people, um, unless they're people that are, uh, you know, apt to talk about it like you. Or Jessa, but I just don't, I also don't know if I have the vocabulary for it yet, but there's def, there are definite times. And when I notice them, I'll like tell Jessa about it, but like, like, uh, where I can feel somebody's vibe getting on me, you know, like if somebody's anxious and it's making me feel weird, like you're messing up my mood and stuff. I'm like, Oh, I can feel your, the energy coming off of you. Um, and, uh, it's, uh. I think it's kind of fun. I think it's, it's, I think it's kind of exciting to, I feel like I am uh, understanding more about people and the,
0: our world than I used to. Well, as a standup, like you have to be able to, if you're going to be a good standup, you have to be able to fucking walk up immediately on that fucking stage. <laughs> I imagine and feel you have what to read the crowd. We would call it reading the room. Yes. You have to read like, and that's when you tell a joke that the room,
1: uh, didn't want to hear you, you can be like another comic be like, read the fucking
0: room, yeah. man. Like and if that's we're gonna, not- like break down that, that phrase, right? If you're going to read the room, what are you doing? Like, are you literally sitting there and scanning and looking at everybody's body language and response and how this person laughed and this person didn't. And No, you're getting a general fucking feeling mm-hmm. of the room itself. And you're using all the different skill sets that you have. You're, you you are using your eyes. Yeah, I do think sign. that you
1: are doing all those things. I think that it's happening uh, so quickly, though. Mm-hmm. Your brain is processing stuff. Uh, I do think that that's where we are getting our cues from. There's this. Uh, I know it's like a just a a, a pop book, like a popular but malcolm gladwell's blink where is uh, is a book about like all the things that our mind subconsciously digests without us being aware of it mm-hmm. things that we know in a in a second because um we don't have time to like really list out all the things that we're taking in but our brain just knows stuff you know and so i do think that when i'm on stage Uh, that I am, I think me as a person, I am very cognizant of people's body language and I can read them pretty well. When you're standing in a room full of hundreds of people, you're not doing that individually, at least on a conscious level. But I think that I am taking it all in really quickly and that it just, it comes across like, uh, like energy. You just, I can feel, I can feel it when the crowd pulls back. And like in when you, uh, in also in comedy, we call it uh, calling the moment uh, where you you say what everyone is thinking and it feels like a magic trick. And that makes people laugh because it's just like, oh, my God, I was thinking that. And it they, they you view the comedian then as like a superhero, like he read your minds or whatever. But it, it's and then you're laughing because you realize everyone felt the same way as me. Oh, my God. But uh, it's. When you're a good, when you're good at comedy, you can do it. You can uh, tell when the whole room is pulling back from a joke, and you have to play with that tension some. And you have to be like, okay, guys, like I get it, like I know that you're not, you're not on board with this one or whatever, but just stick with me. And you can make jokes and break it and get them to come along with you anyway. It's something I really like to do because I've got like a, a really friendly face. I've got that that the that Mormon light in my eyes. I can get I can convince people to come along with me when they're uh maybe not uh <laughs> you know super comfortable with it. And I can balance out uh like harsh jokes, jokes that make people uncomfortable with like a nice smile or something. You can balance that out, but that's all about reading the room's energy. And just and knowing, knowing what they're ready for. Sometimes like I deliver jokes so high energy. Like I'm just like, uh, like alive. where I'm like, wow I'm very, uh, uh, physical, uh, for the most part on stage. But there was a, a show that Jess and I just did in Boise and I delivered all of my jokes a lot more subtly because it, the room was going, I could tell that the room was going to, uh, close off if I went too big that they, oops, sorry. That if I um was like oh yeah that they, they were just that they were gonna close off that it was gonna feel intrusive to them and and like offensive so I just kind of I'm I'm never gonna be a deadpan comic but I was a lot calmer in my delivery a lot softer in my delivery and just let them. Uh, you know, like chuck along and let them build up. stand up comedy is a conversation that's disguised as a monologue. And I don't want to encourage listeners to ever heckle out during a show because you don't, you're not verbally participating in the conversation, but the audience is responding back to everything that the comic says on stage. And bad comics don't realize that, though. I cannot stand listening to comics that don't listen to the audience. And they're just like up there and they just tell their jokes in the exact same way every single time. And you're like, didn't you hear what they said? Couldn't you hear what they were saying that they didn't? Why did you just keep plowing? I mean, there's something to be said for comics that just when you have to just impose your will on a room. That's fun. I've done that. That's that's great. But like, I think that you that you can do that while listening and that's different than just not listening to the crowd and telling all of your jokes anyway. Uh, yeah, sorry to go. I just love talking about that kind of stuff. Well, uh,
0: like listening to you, like it's all about, cause I hear you and it's very easy to use like my verbiage, my vocabulary, the way that I, can and do at times label and identify things. And like, just that is straight up fucking energy work. And you're an energy practitioner because you are going into a room and it's not that you're controlling people because we don't necessarily control people with their energy. Right. But you're tapping into the flow of the vibration of the room and syncing up with it and then leading it. And using your energy, like you talked about how you can call the moment. Is that what you use, right? Yeah, term? yeah, yeah. Right? Like, not only did you able to tap in and collectively tap into the consciousness, the collective conf- consciousness of the audience, mm-hmm. but, like, it made me even think, like, well, not only did you do that, like, fuck that, you implanted that in the process, right? You're just aware enough to realize that I've gotten them to this point now where I next thing I need to address is the thing that I already put into their head, in a sense. And yeah. so like, it's really, really cool. And I've never even thought about it in the context of this kind of, you know, like that, how much you have to read a room or how much you have to be connected into that energy. And, but if you look at it from that perspective, if I look at it from that perspective, I mean, it makes perfect sense and it's black and white. It's plain as day where you have people that are really, really good at it. And then you have comics that aren't right. You have people that get up on stage and you can just tell that they, they're not good at that. And I think the ones that are really successful are the ones that are really, really good at that feeling and connecting and seeing where the tide is yeah. and how they need to move. And then not only moving with it, but then controlling it.
1: My my philosophy was stand up. Uh, so I'm partial to it. So I think it's the right one. But I am, I always want to be open. I don't want to, I was, in the beginning when you start out, you're rigid because you're learning everything. And so I was, I was very rigid and I had my jokes memorized and I said them the same way every single night for years. And as I got better at it, uh, you know, because you have to learn all the rules before you can break them and stuff. But I talked to uh, a great comic, Roy Scoville, who I look up to so much and he had so much wisdom. He was on like a different level uh, of stand-up comedy, the stuff that he said, and it really changed me and it made me want to be more fluid less rigid, less scripted. And so now my philosophy is I want to be open to whatever the room gives me. Because I mean, I have, I have my plan. I have the jokes that are in my head that like I can, I can tell this one or I can tell that one, but I'm just leaving open the possibility that I might not get to any of them because that might not be where the room takes me. You know, I am the leader. I'm going to lead them, but you, you can't, it is give and take, like you can't force people, uh, not every crowd is going to come with you wherever you want to go. You've got to stick, you know, them they'll show you where their boundaries are and stuff. And so like, sometimes you get on stage and you can tell that the audience is still thinking about the last comic. They're they're, you know, especially if that last comic crushed, if they did great, like they haven't gotten over that guy yet. They're still laughing at her and her stuff. And so, uh, I, you might have to spend a minute just riffing on their set, giving the audience a mo- Like if you want to come in and just tell your opener, cause you're like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to open, but they're not ready for it yet. It's not going to go over well. You'll do much better if you just ease them into you. Cause they they want to still talk about uh her or him so you do you riff uh about their last jokes and you tie that into you and then you move on with with your set and the crowd is is with you you know so i like i just i get on stage trying to be a blank slate as much as i can where i'm just like i'm i'm open to whatever uh wherever we may go or whatever we may do i try to listen to the stuff that's in my heart for that night there are nights when i'm like uh, like I'll, I'll do a run of shows where I'm just doing, I do, I do a lot of jokes about like how I'm drinking at 30 for the first time. Cause I grew up Mormon. Right. And oh, and now I tried weed and I tried acid and stuff. And then I'll hit a night where I just really miss Ethan, my son. And that's where my heart is. So I just end up telling jokes about Ethan. You know, I just, the, my set changes and I just, and I do that. But sometimes the audience is what dictates the set changing. And I think that it's, uh. I just want to have like like what we started out talking about, authentic, genuine conversations with everyone. I hate, I hate the small talk stuff. I hate when we're not connected. And so when I'm on stage having a conversation with the audience, I want it to be genuine and authentic as much as it can be. I want it to be uh, real and spontaneous as much as it can be. And I want everyone to feel like we had a genuine connection. We had something together that I wasn't just going getting up there and doing a rote uh, recitation of things I told I tell everyone. You know, you know what I mean. Somebody that just like it didn't seem like it mattered who they were talking to. They they would have had that same conversation with anyone at that party. Didn't matter that they. You know, I don't want anyone to feel like that when they talk to me. I want it to feel. Uh, I want them to know that I cared about them and that uh that they mattered in that conversation
0: i think you got to use comedy to build your uh house yeah (laughs) yeah i think you i think there's so many fucking lessons i feel so
1: much more confident taught like i like when when you ask me what do you believe in life i'm like i don't know i just i don't don't but when you when we start talking about comedy i'm like here's what i believe yes and i have a set of beliefs about comedy but i never thought that they could make it no one ever called me an energy practitioner before i'm very excited about that i like that i i my girl sarah uh gives me massages she's uh, she was the first person that ever talked to me about energy and that got me believing and thinking more about that kind of stuff so she's she's done energy work on me before and i loved it it was fantastic to think of myself as an energy worker i'm like oh put my head <laughs> yeah put my feet up i'm like
0: oh i'm important <laughs> look at me well it's something you're passionate about and that obviously you can hear that in your words. You can tell that obviously, fuck man. But uh, there's so many lessons there. Like there's so many easy parallels that you can draw from that experience of being a stand-up and what it takes and how you have to do it. Like you have to learn in the beginning, right? Everybody fucks up and everybody just kind of goes through the motions and goes mm-hmm. through the steps because you have to learn all the rules before you can break them. Yeah. Like, fuck man, that's adolescence, right? Like, you know, listen yeah. and pay yeah. attention and all these different things. And then finally you kind of start to come into your own and realize like, well, that rule's fucking stupid. Uh-huh. I'm going to do this shit different now. Right. And all of these lessons that you can draw from this experience that you could then immediately take back and start framing up your fucking house with because they're good lessons, right? It doesn't minimize the fact that they come from the stand-up world. Like they're very, very applicable metaphorically speaking in a sense, but they're, they're good. And when you speak of them, you can hear your passion, you can feel your passion. And that's what like, you have clarity there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like you very much like that. I like that. I
1: so lack in everywhere else. (laughs) I'm just so, I I love it. I never thought about that, but I am so certain about what I think in comedy Mm -hmm. in those terms. So yeah, I'll just build my house out of out of comedy wood. Well, there, you there you go. go.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I'm excited to go watch it now.
1: Oh, like yeah, you guys are coming to the show? Yeah, yeah. What time is it right now? Ten to six. Ten to six. Okay.
0: Ten to six. Let's see. Oh, we're good. We're good. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I like that.
1: Okay. Anything else you wanted to? Like I said, there's there's
0: tons, but I knew we weren't going to get to all of it. And none of it's really important in the end (laughs) because we end up talking about what we're supposed to talk about. Uh So I enjoyed it immensely.
1: Yeah, me too. What about you? I'm like, I feel, I feel a lot happier now. Uh, Like the, uh, I think my voice changed when we got to the, the stuff that I was like excited about (laughs) and stuff started clicking and I was like, yeah. And I feel like, uh, I don't know, sound more confident, sound more like myself.
0: Yeah. Mm. what do you want to throw out like do you have dates coming up or anything like that uh well they're all
1: kind of scattered dates they're all kind of (laughs) all over the place but um august 3rd through 5th i'll be at laughs unlimited in sacramento california and uh august 26th jessa and i will be in philadelphia and there's other dates there that are, aren't like solidified yet, but that's a like comedy sports theater in Philadelphia on August 26th. But uh yeah, that's it. Check out, check out our podcast. It's called Mormon and the meth head. And uh, you can find some of my comedy and stuff. If you look up Aaron Woodall, Um I am on Twitter and, but like, Just in the, in the loosest sense of the word, I have a handle and I, uh, I basically get on there whenever Jessa tells me that someone tweeted at me, like, that's it. (laughs) And then I'm always, I always have like 30 notifications and, uh, I'm very bad at it. But so look me up on Facebook or on Instagram is probably better. Aaron Woodall. And, uh, you'll find me.
0: Good. And you guys aren't stopping anytime soon with the podcast, right? Like you're getting into the good flow of it. We're going to keep doing it. It's going to oh. be something we're going to be able to enjoy for a long time.
1: Oh, absolutely. There's actually, um, a lot of, uh, big things in the works right now. I don't think that Mormon, the Method's going anywhere anytime soon. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's
0: very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Iron Man. I appreciate it.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming. Yeah. I had the roadmap of eternity mapped out at 19 i knew everything to have a conversation with me it either it either has to be about something meaningful or it had better be funny stand-up comedy is a conversation that's disguised as a monologue i I want to be strong enough to like to accept that and, and live a happy life without looking for something beyond myself you know